Well, and I know that this morning, you're not in the building with me, obviously. But wherever you're at, I'm, I would say amen. Amen to the truth that he's a way maker. He is our way maker. And um, what a privilege it is to be here with you this morning in a live stream way. I cannot wait until um, we can be back in the building praising and worshiping him together once again. But for right now, he's the way maker. Uh, and he's, he's going to make a way for us to get back in the building. We just got to wait on him. And so uh, I was thinking the last time that I was able to speak here at Valley was the last time you were all in the building with me. Um, so I was telling uh, Tim Volstrom, I believe it was, uh, there's nowhere to go but up from here. <laughs> because last time there was 700 people in the building. Now we're down to uh, me and the AV team. And so um, I want to say thank you to our AV team, to our worship ministries, as they continue to provide um, a way that we can worship in our homes and in different ways. And so we thank you for that. Um, this morning, I'm going to continue our series uh, out of the Gospel of John. And um, the passage I'm going to be reading from is uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. I'm going to start by reading that to you. And uh, I, I think the big idea that I came up with in this passage, not I think, I know the big idea in this passage, is that the Father, our Heavenly Father, requires a clean temple. It's a requirement of His that the temple be clean. And so, during a virus that we're going through right now, like we're going through right now, we would say, cleanliness seems to be something very important. Very important. None of us want to come in a building that might be infected with a virus that could cause us great harm. So we're looking for cleanliness. Now, God is looking for cleanliness in the temple for a little bit different reason. And that for one, he's holy. And so he requires that we're holy. So he requires that the temple be clean. And who better to cleanse the temple than his own son, Jesus Christ? Let's read the passage together and then we'll dive into a few thoughts I have about the passage. Jesus cleanses the temple. Here we go. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? Let me pause. If he meant that temple that took, I don't care if it took 146 years to build that temple, if he said, I'm going to raise it in three days, if that had been his intention, he would have done it in three days. But that wasn't his intention. Let's continue on. But the temple that he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Why was Jesus at the Passover? (laughs) Well, historically, the Passover led Jesus to the temple because the Passover was something that every adult male, 12 years and up, was required to attend the Passover. So Jesus was about 30 years old at this time, so it was a requirement for him to be there. And here's a couple of things I saw. That's what led him to the temple was the Passover. And the Passover was a celebration of God freeing the people and getting them out of slavery. That was the final, uh, the final plague that he put on the Egyptians was if you didn't have blood over the doorpost, the angel of the Lord would pass by and the firstborn in that household would die if there was no blood over the doorpost. So they were celebrating this many years later. This is back in Exodus. So the Passover required his attendance, and since he was one who kept the law, he was there. But he went into the temple. Now I want to say something about this verse. It's incredible. Notice that John titles the Passover here, the Passover of the Jews. I saw that. He calls it the Passover of the Jews, showing us the level of importance that it had fallen to. This is what I mean. It had been cheapened. It had become just a religious feast, a time to get together. Now, they still sacrificed animals. Matter of fact, Passover, the blood would run in the streets like a river, they say, because they sacrificed so many animals. But the original intent of what it was about had been forgotten in my mind. They remembered that part, but they were into the feast part more probably, or so it seems. Just this, listen. Back in Exodus, the title of the Passover was not the Jewish Passover. The title of the Passover back then was the Lord's Passover. But it was now called the Jewish Passover, and John very clearly points that out. Oh, the anomalies of man. We take something that God intends to be and take the credit for doing, and we soon forget to keep his name in it. They had taken away the deliverance from the Lord, and it was as if they were taking credit for it. It's like, we're, it's our Passover now. No, 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 it was the Lord's Passover. And it still is the Lord's Passover. They were just the beneficiaries of the Passover. Reminds me of somebody. Reminds me of a, of a people. We take the, the Lord's name out of it. We take the Lord's name out of things. Sounds familiar to me. In this country, in America today, we've taken the Lord's name out of a a lot of things. A lot of things. Think about it, even in your Constitution. We, the people of the United States. Now, they were much more God fearing then. But what about one nation under God? Anything that has God's name in it, America is trying to abolish. Kind of scary. Scary in my thoughts. I remember being a young boy in school. I'm older than most of the people that attend this church, (laughs) or a lot of them at least. And I remember you could pray in school. The the Ten Commandments could be spoken. And, And now you can't do those things. Let's go on. So when Jesus got into the temple area, I I think that everything I just talked about, except for the United States part, Jesus was completely aware of. He knew that they had changed the name. He knew it had become more of a feast than it really was a celebration of God and what he had done. 
So we go on, though. Verse 14. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at table, tables exchanging money. Well, we already kind of described why that was. People traveled from a long ways away to come to the Passover. A long ways away. And so they would come from way, way out there. So it wasn't practical for them to bring their own animal to do a sacrifice with. That just wasn't practical. So um, they would come into the city of Jerusalem where the Passover was taking place, and, they, and then they would, um, they would purchase an animal there. Okay? So that was why the animals were presented. Now, Jesus is not against capitalism in this circumstance. He's not against the fact that they were selling animals to be sacrificed. That was actually what was required. So that wasn't new. That wasn't what was upsetting to him. It's that they were doing it in his father's house, a house where they were supposed to be praying and approaching God. How do you approach God in prayer when there's marketplace stuff going all over the world? Animals everywhere. And so that was the disturbing part. Then they had the money changers. And, and the reason they were doing this is very obvious to me. It was a money maker. <laughs> they turned it into a marketplace because they could make lots of money doing it. And guess what? They're selling these different animals, including doves. They're selling them at a premium cost. Because the guy that's traveled a long ways, he needs an animal to sacrifice. Remember, this, is, this sacrifice is for your sins. So you've got to get before a God and become holy. So you do this at the Passover. You, you do this. And so now all of a sudden he travels all this way, he's got to purchase an animal to sacrifice. And so it was very expensive at times. But Christ gets upset because of where it's at. Where they set the marketplace up. Well, there's no better place to set a marketplace up than near the people that are making the purchases. So it makes a lot of sense as far as business-wise, but you can't make God's temple into a business. Because when you do, he will leave that temple. He says, I'm not going to dwell in a place where it's not clean, where it's not correct, where they're not trying to be holy. Where there's no holiness present, you won't find God there. So what does he do? He automatically, I would just say it this way, um, and I don't mean this to be comical, but it might seem kind of funny. How, how many of you have washed your hands during the COVID virus? How many of you have washed your hands repeatedly during the COVID virus? Everybody out there should have your hands in the air at this point. So in order to clean something up from what I found out, I used to just put my hands under the water, put a little soap on them, do like that, and dry them and go on. I found out that's not good enough. You've got to create a little friction, a little agitation, if you would. You put your hands in the water and get them wet, and you put them in the soap, and then you have to rub your fingers over your hands for a minute, or, for, or 20 seconds minimally. And then you've got to do a little, you've got to really wash them. So I found out that to get something clean takes friction, it takes agitation as it were and Christ says I'm about to clean the temple up I'm about to clean my father's house up I'm a little bit agitated at what's going on in my father's house now what does he do so he makes a whip out of cords this is amazing and he drives all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturns their tables. You know why there was money changers? Because at that time, sorry, I forgot to say that earlier. The reason they had money changers was because the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish people from the Sanhedrin had said, we don't want anything that has someone else's face on it besides God. So if it has Caesar's picture on it, in order to spend money here in the temple, in order to put an offering in even, you need to exchange that money for, I think they were called Tyrians. I can't say the word properly, but it was a particular kind of coin that was used in the temples. So they had these money changers. Now guess what? I don't know if you've ever traveled abroad in different countries, 
And you have to take your American money and turn it into their currency. All right? And depending on where you do that, you may not get a fair exchange. Sometimes you don't get a fair exchange. I believe from everything I studied on this particular section, in this area, when they were in the temple like this, there was no fair exchange. You gave them $10 worth of coins that were, had Caesar's picture on it, you might only get $8 worth of coins back in the Tyrian money. And I may have that term wrong, I'm sorry. But, um, so there was a little bit of, not only were they doing business in the Lord's house, they were doing business that was pretty shady. Okay, so there you go. So anyway, so he turns over their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. I want to point out this. We see the term temple twice, once in 14, once in 15. The terminology that John wrote was temple. The Greek word for the temple there that he is using is a word that means it was a, a, saint, a, a place of um, reverence, a holy place, but it was a building. It was a sanctuary. It was like this building. Okay? And so it was very similar to what we would call churches today. Our buildings. Now we know we're the church, so that doesn't work. But the building that we gather in here, that would be called a temple. And that's the word that John is using in this early part. He's using a particular word that means sanctuary. Now, the Father still dwelt there. That's where you went to pray to the Lord, and, and, and that's where you got your forgiveness, and that's where the sacrifices were made, was in that temple. So it's still a place where the Father was at. Or you would go there to meet with the Father. But what I noticed was that John uses temple, but Jesus doesn't call it a temple. It gets real personal for him. He suddenly says, he doesn't, you notice he doesn't say, to those who sold the doves, he said, get these out of here, stop turning the temple into a market. He didn't say that. It's a distinction. He says this. <laughs> Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now, what's fun for me is when I read this, I'm like, oh, wait, 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 look what he does. He slides this right past everybody. He calls God, the one who indwells the temple, he says, that's my father's house you're messing with. He's just told them, I'm the son of God. I'm a deity standing before you. And they don't even catch it. They don't even catch it. Um, I caught it because I studied hard to find it. And then we kind of just move on a little bit here. We go to our next verse, verse 17, and it's interesting you know, sometimes we think of the disciples as they're just these fishermen. They don't really know a lot about God. They don't know a whole lot about Scripture necessarily. But yet, in the next verse, he says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. That is found in Psalm 69, 9 in the Old Testament. And the disciples remembered that that was in the Scriptures. They're like, wait a minute. Here, this guy, Jesus is a zealous person for his father's house. He has zeal. Jesus' action there was a sign that he was being zealous for his father's house, and he even said that. So incredible stuff, good stuff. I just say, oh my goodness, look, the disciples said they remembered scripture that said he would be this way, and he was. And he fulfilled those scriptures by having a zeal for his father's house. Now then, when you go mess, when you go mess with someone's livelihood, when you go mess with someone's marketplace where they're making pretty good money, they're selling cattle and they're selling uh, goats and they're selling some doves and they're, and they're selling them at a high premium and they're money changing and keeping some money off the top. 
They're skimming. Now, money changers had to make money, so they got a little money no matter what. But now they're skimming a little more than they should have probably. When you do that, when you come in and you upset the tables, I was going to say the apple cart, but this is not an apple cart here. This was the tables and the money changers, and you throw them all out. You're going to get some other people agitated. So Christ was agitated. He said, I've got to clean my father's house up. I'm going to do that now by creating myself a whip. I'm going to come through here, and we're going to clean this up. We're going to, clean, we're going to, we're going to do some business. <laughs> and it's not the kind of business they've been doing here. I'm about to make this right. But now you face the opposition. So now the Jewish leaders get a little disturbed with Jesus. And they start asking him some questions. The Jews then responded to him. This is verse 18. What sign can you show us to prove that your authority to do all this? What's the sign you can show us that you got the authority to do what you just did? Because what they're about to say is if you can't show us a sign that you have the authority to do this, we're about to arrest you. And and you might be at the end of a rope before the night's out. Because you don't mess with our livelihood. And and believe me, this is the Sanhedrin. They believe this is a Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders that approached him. And so... They may not have been the ones who owned the table or the cattle or the goats or the doves, but I'm going to tell you right now, they were getting a little payment under the table. They were getting a little something out of this. They were getting more than a tithe. They were getting a little bit of money out of the whole thing. So they ask him that. What gives you the authority? And they want a sign. It's always amazing. Paul wrote about it in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.22. He said, the Jewish people require a sign. And the Gentiles require wisdom, I think is what he says there in 122 of 1 Corinthians. So they want a sign. Give us a sign. Show us that you got the authority to do this. And watch what Jesus says. This is, a, this is fun. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. It's interesting. They replied this. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? You're going to destroy it, and, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? Yeah, right, buddy. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, this guy's a loony. That's probably what they're going, okay. They're, you know, that's, that's where the guy looks at his friend and goes, one of those deals. But watch what he, watch what he replies, or what John says. But the temple that he was speaking of was his body. Now look, we've used temple four times already in this passage. Two in the beginning verses, verses 14 and 16 I think it was, and now two here. In 19 and in 20, the term temple is used again. But listen to this, the term that Christ used for temple when he said, destroy this temple, He didn't mean the temple he was standing in. That's not what he was talking about. He meant this temple. It's very specific. He says, you destroy this temple. They didn't grasp that. He actually used a different word for temple. Still the same kind of a root word, but it changed the dynamic. It could be used both for a building, but also could be used to mean someone's body. And in this particular issue, In this particular instance, if you use that particular word, that particular word for temple, it meant the inner sanctuary of the temple, like the part where God actually dwelt. That was the word he used, okay? So now all of a sudden, the word shifts. It's a different word. And then we're solidifying that by John saying, but the temple that he had spoken of, so this is like the fifth time that we're using it, the word temple, The temple that he had spoken of was his body. So now it became specific. And we find out that, I found out, I looked over at 1 Corinthians um, 6, 19. Just one instance. There's other spots, but that's one I picked out. The apostle Paul used the same exact word in the passage of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 when he said that the holy place today is not a temple made with hands. It's not a temple. Christ is not talking about the temple. When he says, you destroyed this temple, he's not talking about a temple that's been made with hands. He's talking about the body. So he says, it's not a temple made with hands, Paul said, but that our body, 
my body, your body, your body, whoever has placed faith in Jesus Christ, the temple is now your body. And this is what he, Paul, let me complete his statement. But that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, now what do you think that means? The temple of the Holy Spirit. If I said I've got a temple of the Holy Spirit, what do you expect to find there if you go to that temple? You're not expecting to find a baseball team, right? You would go there. If I said we've got a temple of um, Muslims, what would you expect to find if you went to that temple? You'd expect to find Muslims in that temple. That's why we would call it that. He's, Paul's pointing out the temple I'm talking about, the temple that you are now, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When you go to that body, when you go to this body, the Holy Spirit's there. God, all three live within your body. All three of them, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity is indwelling you. But Paul very specifically pointed out in 619 that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Until Christ came and get delivered the Holy Spirit in Acts there, in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit came on him, now we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit ever since. When you become a believer in Christ, he says he gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling you. He's in you. He's all over you. You can do nothing to please the Lord without the Holy Spirit. You can do all things through the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You don't have to go far to find him. He's right inside you. Right inside you. And then listen to this. Just another part of this. After he was raised from the dead. So now we're, we're fast forwarding to Christ's resurrection. I mean Christ's death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Because listen to what it says. After he was raised from the dead... His disciples recalled what he had said. On this moment, at this moment, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll I'll raise it up. Now they go, wait a minute. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said to them. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You know what that's saying? Until they saw him raised, they didn't have any understanding what he was saying, or if they did hear it, they weren't believing him. Am I wrong? Isn't that what it says? After he was raised from the dead. you got to fast forward, because he's alive. This is his first Passover as in a ministry aspect. So after he's raised from dead, his disciples recalled what he had said right here. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine them? They're like, oh, wait a minute. He said he was going to do this. And now he did it. Incredible. Look, you've got the book that tells the whole story. They were living it. Don't be too hard on the disciples. I get on Peter till I'm reminded that that I'm a whole lot like him. Oh, he denied Christ Three times before the cock crowed. How in the world could he do that? Oh my goodness, how many times have I denied him? In less time than that. How many times have you denied him? In less time than that. I won't ask you that, that's up to you. So then we go to 23, 24, and 25, these three verses. And and here's what they say. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many, many saw what he did and they believed him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. What the Jewish leaders asked him for, I'm sorry, I'm going backwards a little here. What they asked him for up there when they said, give us a sign that, you say that, that you're who you say you are. Or, or give us a sign that shows you have the authority to do what you just did. And then he does it. They just don't see it as the sign. And guess what? They didn't get to see his resurrection yet. But that was another sign he gave them. Because first of all, there had to be some, why would he feel that it was okay that he did what he did unless he had authority? It was a minor miracle that he did that and didn't get stoned or arrested. He didn't even get arrested for this. So anyway, we move on. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name. Why did they believe in his name? Why did they believe in his name? Look at the rest of the passage. Because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. 
and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. Why did they believe in his name? Because they saw a sign. The problem with that, there's a problem with that. It says that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. Right? It says that many believed. Well, how could they not believe? They saw what he did. They had to believe that he was Jesus. They had to believe that he said he was, you know, I'm, this is who I am. So they had to believe that because they just saw him do these things. But it's because of what they saw that they believed. It's what they saw that they believed. And I was troubled by this passage in times past. But Jesus on his part would not entrust, why wouldn't he entrust himself to people that believed in him? Ah. Because he knew all people. Right? He knew all people. And needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. Wow. This is kind of an interesting passage, isn't it? You know why he didn't entrust himself to him? Because what they had to have was a sign. They had to have a sign. We got to see it happen. We got when you do something. You know what it is? They didn't have true belief. They didn't have trust. They had belief. They acknowledged that. How many people do you know that you've witnessed to that could tell you the facts of what it is you need to believe about being saved, but they don't really believe it themselves? Anyone? I know I have two or three people in my family that I know could tell you how to get saved. I know they could tell you you have to place saving faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on a cross, but you know what? They believe the facts of who he is, but they don't trust in him enough to place all their faith in him. They're not saved people. They're not saved. True conversion it's not based on signs. It's based on trust and belief. True conversion happens when God gives you the ability to place faith in his son. That's when true conversion happens. Up until then, it's just intellectual, intellectual acknowledgement of some basic facts. That does not save you. It is a life of wholehearted commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that changes you. That's the person that Christ entrusts himself to. Not someone that believes four facts and a, and a slap on the back and I said a little prayer and now I'm saved. No, you're not saved if you're not committed to him. If you don't persevere, you've got to persevere. And again, he speaks of his deity in this path. There's about Four times in here, I didn't cover all of them, where he speaks about his deity. How could he know things that he knows? How could he know everyone? Because he says he needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. And it's, these words are not universal. I know they all have a sin nature. No, 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 no. He knew every man's heart that was there, every man that believed in him. He knew their true heart. He knew if they really believed in him or if they didn't. Now, not everybody didn't believe. And Paul is going to, uh, Pastor Paul is going to share with you next week <laughs> somebody that, because really, in the break here in chapter 2 where it stops and we get chapter 3, that really should be continuous in my mind. Because you go right into chapter 3 there. I'm not going to do Paul's sermon, but he goes right to Nicodemus. Christ goes right to Nicodemus, right off of this. There's no big break in time. He just goes right there. But Christ's deity is seen right there again. Who knows the mind of a, who knows the heart of man? Who do you know that knows your heart? Not even your wife or your husband knows your heart fully. You got something in there that you're probably holding back. Not intentionally even. You're not even doing it on purpose. You don't even know your own heart Sometimes. Doesn't the Bible say your heart is deceitful and it'll lie to you? How does your own heart lie to you? Because you persuade yourself the heart is your mind generally. And you persuade yourself that God's not for you. You got all the passages in the world that says he's for you. 
and you persuade your own mind tricks you into thinking he's against you. Look, this COVID virus hit. He's not for you. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's never failed you. He never will. So I said the main idea. (laughs) I'm amazed I'm almost out of time here. The main idea that I get out here is that the Father requires a clean temple. You know what happened at the end of this chapter, those last three verses? I, when I first read them, I go, how do those fit the narrative? How do they fit in? And as I worked through it and kept working on it, I go, wait a minute. Because Christ can see I'm not going to entrust myself to these men because I can look inside their temples. Their temples aren't clean. They like what I did. They believe I can do things. They believe I'm a healer. They believe I can do miracles. Some of them might even have been at the wedding that he was at where he turned the water into wine. They might have seen that one. Man, this guy is, we're going to hang out with this guy. We can partay with him because he can turn water into a wine. Father requires a clean temple. And who better, who better to clean the temple than his son? You know what? Before you were saved, the Father did not indwell you. The Holy Spirit did not indwell you, and the Son did not indwell you. It takes a cleansing of the temple before the Father can indwell. He will not come in where it's not clean. He will not work with those who are unclean. So even if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're living in sin, you've broken fellowship with him. He'll have nothing to do with that. But he will chase after you if you're his child. He will not give up on you. I looked at another passage. I just want to, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And I was looking at it, and it says this. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, temples, vessels, bodies, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, these things being sin that were talked about earlier in chapter 2. Sorry, I didn't go way back and come forward. Cleanses himself. How do you cleanse yourself from these things? Believing in Jesus Christ. He's the agitating agency that, keeps you, that cleans you up. He's the friction that, and, and I don't mean to make him sound, he's not an agitator. <laughs> I don't mean to make it like that, but he's the one that gets in there and cleans you up. His blood has the power to clean you. From all the iniquity that you have in your life. I don't care if you're watching us today and you've done deplorable things. I don't care. He's big enough to clean you. He's big enough to cleanse you so that the requirement of the Father is met. That's the whole, the whole entire book of John is all about Jesus is enough. He's enough. He did the work. Uh, let's look at, oh man, let me jump i got to hurry now. Isn't this crazy? Look at this. And I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes who's preaching after me. In chapter 20 of John, verses 30 and 31, I think you need to read it every week before we preach. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, that's a good passage. That's a great passage. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, back to 2 Timothy, sorry, he will be a vessel for honor. You'll be a temple that he can use. God doesn't use temples of dishonor or vessels of dishonor. He uses that vessel of honor. Useful to the world? Useful to the church? Like Valley Bible, oh, you're a vessel of honor. You're useful to us. Well, yeah, you are. 
but you're useful to the master, the king of kings. That's who you're useful to. And listen to what he says. Prepared for every good work. Every good work. I read that because it says cleanses and vessel and honor and useful, sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been sanctified. We bring honor to him and his father when we let him use us. Listen, one of my biggest fears in preaching sometimes is that someone will come up to me after hearing a sermon and say, well, you hope this happens, but listen, carry it out. Hey, that was really good today. I really liked how you brought the truth of that scripture out. You're like, yeah, I did a pretty good job. No, no, you don't do that. But here's the fear. And then they walk away, and nothing in their hearts has changed. I mean, it sounds so good to hear them say that, that you, have, you, you think, wow, God is really moving in them, but then you find out that all they did was give praise to me for preaching, for perhaps doing maybe what they don't think they're capable of doing. And I'm not capable of doing it without the Holy Spirit that we talked about earlier being indwelling me. You see, they, they walk away without cleansing or getting the temple cleansed. They walk away and nothing changed. They heard a good message, but they didn't change. Oh, I fear that. I fear that when we give the gospel so clear that a, a, a young child in the room can understand it and they, they, they get the facts of it and they think, well, that's a great story, but they walk away without a changed life. You see, they walk away without cleansing of their temple and the cleansing that's required by God for him to be satisfied. They, they just walk away from him. They walk away from it, and I think, how could they not get it? How do they not understand what we just told them? Their temple is filthy. They need to be cleaned up, and God has provided the agency through his son to clean them up to the, so that he would be satisfied. So I, I've been a while since I preached, since I've been up here, and, and I've been watching Pastor Paul, and I watched Matt, and they, they keep giving you these challenges on a weekly basis. So as I was walking through this, I thought, well, what kind of challenge can I give you? A challenge I have for you this morning as you listen to this message is this. What do you need to do in your temple, your inward body, to clean up in such a fashion that you can restore your relationship if you already know the Lord? You can restore your relationship with God so that he might be glorified as, as he is glorified when we clean ourselves up and he can use us. We, when we work for him, when we're living the Christian life the way we're supposed to and we've cleansed, we really can't cleanse the temple, it takes God to do it. So it's kind of an interesting thing. It's us working with him. See, God was glorified in what Jesus did in the physical temple. When he threw everybody out and turned the money tables over, that glorified his father. Not only did it cleanse the temple, but it glorified his father. So what are you doing that's glorifying the father? Are you doing anything within you? Do you have some sin in your life that you're just kind of hanging on to? And you think, well, I'm okay because I can still pray. Well, yeah, you can pray all you want. You can pray when you're an unsaved person. You gotta get the temple clean. You gotta get this body of yours inwardly clean. Not this outward physical, not this. It's inside that needs to be cleaned. The temple needs to be cleaned. The body needs to be clean. The body of, the, of Christ, the, the bride has to be clean. God doesn't wanna present to his son a dirty bride. Not at all. So what is a way that, what do you think is a way that you can clean up so that our Heavenly Father will be able to use you and that you'll be able to glorify Him. What's the way you think? As you think on that, let me tell you what I think works for cleansing my temple. The thing that I know that I'm right before the Lord in is this way. 
It's going to come as a big surprise to all of you who know me uh, that I would say this. Prayer and the Word of God. Prayer, first of all, if you've got sin in your life, you've got to get to Him. And you've got to confess it. And you do that in prayer. You do that in prayer. You don't go, well, I, I, we're past that. No, you've got to get it right with Him. You see, you might have got in a fight with somebody and you walk past it like nothing ever happened and you never apologize, you never come back person and you say, I'm sorry I did that. God is waiting for you to come and confess that to him. Okay? So you need to do that. And this is what I, the challenge is. I challenge you this week to follow, to follow every day. Don't let a day go by that you don't find BBC Daily 3. Don't do it. You start today. You start, not today because it won't be on today, but tomorrow morning. When that thing pops on your cell phone, or if you haven't got hooked up to the daily three reminder thing, I think it's 474747. Text it in. BBC Daily Three, all one word. Put it in there. It will pop out a thing to you every day that reminds you it's there. It's available for you to watch. And listen, it's not the only thing we're saying you should be doing in your Christian life. Listen to somebody else pray for, you know, less than three minutes. No, it's to prompt you to pray. It's to prompt you to get before the Lord. It's to prompt you to get in the Word. And we love it. We love doing it. The people that are helping us pull that together, thank you to all of them. But what a privilege it is to serve you in that way. So that's one thing I'd say. In addition to that, I want you to look up this passage. And I want you to pray it. I want you to look this passage up, and I want you to pray this, okay? Um, Psalm 139, verses, just two verses, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Now listen, I'm going to warn you something. Don't pray this unless you're serious. Don't do it unless you're serious. You're like, Lord, I want my temple to be clean before you. I want to be used by you like never before. Because if you pray this, God's going to, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be true to his part. And this is what David prayed. And so it's a prayer from David. I want you to be able to pray. I want you to pray this every day, every day, every morning when you get up, every morning. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And this is the hard part, verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, if you pray and ask God to show you something, God, would you reveal what's in my heart? If it's against somebody, I need to know that. He's going to reveal that. And then it's going to require you to do some other things. You're going to have to get it right between. If, if I had somebody in the church that I was having troubles with, and I said, Lord, reveal some things in my heart. And he says, you need to get right with that person. Really, Lord? You want me to get right with that person? Uh huh. So it may require some other things. But it's a scary prayer. They say it's one of the scariest prayers there is, is to ask God to reveal. But yet it's one of the most freeing, it's one of the most cleansing prayers you could ever do. Confess the things you know you've done wrong. Confess them. But man, ask him, say, Lord, I want to be more like Christ. And the only way I know to do that is for you to continue to cleanse me and I want to know that my heart is not thinking evil things or doing evil things against my brothers or against you so would you reveal if there's anything in my life so that's my challenge to you thank you so much for joining us today here at uh, Valley Bible Church uh, we we love all of you we can't wait till we get a building full of you again <laughs> and uh, in the meantime though we want you to hang on remember the song we sang before I started preaching he's a way maker and he's already got a way figured out how we're all going to get back together. Larry Howard, I don't have the way figured out yet. I don't have it. The Lord has not downloaded that into my brain yet. And so um, some of you are calling me regularly, asking me when we're going to be together. And I keep sending you back the same thing whenever the government tells us it's okay that we be together. Because we're not trying to not meet with you. We want to meet with you. But in the meantime, you got some homework to do this week. And so listen, right now, this week, we should see a spike, not in the COVID virus, we should see a spike in viewership and listening to the BBC Daily Three. That's your challenge. 
If, you're, if you were doing it at first and now you've kind of slacked off, get on there every day and watch God clean you inside out. He'll clean you inside out. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. We thank you that um, you didn't tell us just to be clean. You didn't say, be clean. You said, I'll do the cleaning, just come to me. I'll get you clean. I've got, I got the blood of Jesus, I got the blood of my son to cleanse you and to get the temple of your body cleaned up before me so that we can interact together. Lord, if someone is watching this, if they're online, they might be seven states away from here and they've never met your son. They've never met Jesus Christ. This is all confusing to them. Lord, we would would cherish a phone call from them. They could go on our website and call us and let us help walk them through that. But they just simple, it's so simple, Lord. You've done all the work. It's a matter of placing what we would call saving faith, which you give. It's like, I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone and what he did on a cross for me. He died on a cross for me. He was God, came in form of man, died on a cross for my sins, was buried, rose again, and he ascended to be with you on high. And by placing faith in your son and what he did, they can receive salvation today. Oh, that you would do that, Lord. And then for the Christian amongst us who's struggling and anxiety and different things, oh, I I pray that they would run to you and that they would find their time this week, every day. They'd find themselves praying to you. They'd find themselves praying that Psalm 139 so that they might say, I just want to be clean before you, Lord. I want to go the extra mile. I want that deep cleaning of my soul. I thank you for the word of God And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.